Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you. Welcome to our online family. We love you. We're so happy you're here with us. It's good to see you. Uh, You know, as a leadership team, you've kind of been hearing the last several weeks, uh, we've just been processing together and leaning in on, Holy Spirit, how would you have us to lead in this season, in this time? And it's really just our main ambition is um, Jesus, uh, Ephesians says, is the source of everything needed in the church. We just all take a deep breath. He is the source of everything needed in the church. And so our goal, our highest ambition is to live connected to the source. And so we've just been feeling like, It's a good season just to revisit some of the foundational truths that we have built our lives upon. And uh, Dan, a few weeks ago, if you guys remember, drew a picture up here of a house and gave us a builder's perspective that was just so helpful in realizing when we navigate storms uh, in our lives and our life starts to shake, it really becomes such a gift for us because all insecurity, anything in our life that is not stable is just wrong security exposed. And we need those things to be exposed so that um, we can build every part of who we are on a foundation that's stable and secure. And, you know, um, The beautiful thing about the house is that you actually are the house. (laughs) So we're not building something out there like a ministry or a, a, a business, a bunker. You know, we're not like digging down in the ground and how can we live safe in these storms? Uh, because it's wild out there in that rain. And the thing about the gospel is you are the house. And uh, John 14, says, Jesus is speaking, and he says, my father will love you so deeply that we will come to you and make you our dwelling place. So we are living in the Father, and the Father is living in us. And I've just been feeling the whispering of Jesus. Uh, Don't live like a homeless person. (laughs) Because there's a real big difference navigating a storm as a homeless person and as somebody that lives in a house, a house that can't be shaken, a house that's from another world, that's indestructible, because of who we're abiding in. And the people of God are not homeless. And, you know, storms give us an opportunity to see what part of our lives have we left shivering outside in the cold. And we need to come back inside the safety of the Father 
the steadiness of the father. And, you know, um, when we moved to Georgia, I thought I'd been in a storm. But uh, I realized in California, you know, we would have thunderstorms and it would be like a bolt of lightning would be in the sky. And we would all be like, wow, did you see that? And we're like, no, I missed it. Dang it, we'll have to wait till next winter. And <laughs> it was like one sound of thunder. And we're all like, what was that? What was that? Did you cough? No, that was, that was thunder, I think. <laughs> and then we, we moved to Georgia. And I, I legitimately thought in the first storm, you brought us here to die. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Like, the entire sky was one firecracker. The, the, the thunder was literally shaking our whole house. And I would wake up in the middle of the night literally from the sound of the thunder and it's shaking our house my heart was racing I would be like this whole house is going to blow over right now and we've had like three trees now fall on our house and you know what the thing is now I've been here uh, almost eight years and I think it's so cool and I wake up and I'll look out my window, get my coffee, and there's just so much peace because I had to navigate enough storms to know this house was built for this. This house, this, this house was made to withstand this kind of storm. And it can even handle a tree falling on top of it and we don't die. Wow! It can even shake a little bit and it doesn't fall over. And the gifts storms give us if we're navigating them inside of our home is that we realize how secure we are in the safety of the father that we dwell with. And, you know, Jesus, he had an entirely different experience in the storm than the disciples did because he was living from a different place. He was living from the safety of his father. And, you know, when we are living at the same decimal of the storm around us, we have become one with the storm instead of one with the father. And Jesus was able to uh, sleep at rest in the storm because he was in the storm, but he wasn't living in the storm. He was living in the safety of the Father. And in our lives, the goal is, is not just to find ways to avoid storms. The goal is to live from a home that is not of this world, that is unshakable, indestructible, that, that it's the exact parable that Jesus said. The winds will come. The waves will come, but it's not going to blow you over. Um, so I just want to talk about the cross a little bit today. And we'll just start talking and see how far we get. Uh, just talking about oh, this story that we were born into. You know, this whole book is just the most beautiful, wild story. <laughs> the thing about the Bible is it just tells the whole story. The whole story's in there, uh, which, uh, you know, wow. 
anyways, so over here, um, you know, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are in perfect unity. They're in perfect oneness. And uh, we were created from the God who is perfect love. So they, they have never known a single violation of love in the Godhead. It is absolutely stunning. Nothing of this world, perfect love. So God is love. Inside of his entire being is the definition of love. So we can never look around at the world around us to gather our definition of what love looks like. We have to look inside the Godhead to discover what love looks like. And we were created from that place of perfect love. So you were created with the intention of never knowing a violation of love. That from the, the top of your head to the tip of your toes, that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you would be living inside the center of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, an, a spring, an eternal spring of unconditional love and acceptance. The absolute adoration of the Father that you come from. Uh, and then, you know, the garden happens in Genesis chapter 3, and the Bible says that they were naked and unashamed. And we know how the story goes. The, the serpent comes, the devil comes, and uh, deceives Adam and Eve. And, you know, the heart-wrenching part of the story is that the, the devil says, did God really say? Did God really say don't eat from this tree? And Eve's response was like absolute confidence. If you look back in the passage, yes, he did. Yes, he did. This was not like an accidental uh, misunderstanding. She knew what God had said. God had said don't eat of that one tree. And, uh, you know, the devil says what God has said isn't true. That fruit will not harm you. It will actually make you wise. It will make you like God. You will discover who you really are if you eat that fruit. And Adam and Eve reached for something outside of the one that they came from to discover who they were. So they reached for identity outside of the one that designed them. And created them. And they, they were deceived into believing, I can figure this out without God. I, I'm going to discover who I am without him. And it, it, the Bible says the fruit was a delight. It looked like a delight to them. The wisdom. And, you know, you, you were intended to learn how, who you are from the one that you come from. You were intended to grow up into the, to the wisdom you were born to walk in by being fathered by the God of wisdom. And, you know, it, it says, you know, they, they suddenly knew they were naked. And they felt shame for the first time. 
Shame entered into the fallenness and the brokenness of the moment. And it pushed them to cover themselves with fig leaves. And, you know, shame pushes us to hide ourselves when the intention was that you would always know the delight of being seen. So there was nothing that was ever to, there are things that you were, you were never supposed to know. You were never supposed to know what shame feels like. You were never supposed to know what it feels like uh, to be rejected, to be abandoned, to be abused, to be neglected. That was never in the heart of your father for you to know. And so God comes walking to them in the cool of the day. And the Bible says, Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking to them in the cool of the day. And I always just pause at that part of the story because you know the people that are closest to you, you know what they sound like when they're coming your way. And I'm always the first person up in our house in the morning. And I know what everyone in our house sounds like waking up. I can tell you who is, get, who is coming downstairs based on the sounds that are coming, the pitter-patters. I know what Justin sounds like. I know what each of my girls sound like. They have an, a distinct sound. And it's the picture of absolute intimacy that they knew what their God sounded like walking to them. And uh, who, God says, who told you you were naked? How did you know this? And, you know, in, in the most innocent part of your design, you are vulnerable. So sometimes we can think vulnerability is a character trait that we develop. And we can choose it or we cannot choose it. And we say things like, she's a very vulnerable person. He's a very vulnerable person. But the reality is humanity is vulnerable. <laughs> you don't get to choose to be vulnerable or not. You get to choose to cover up your vulnerability or not. And Adam and Eve chose to cover up their vulnerability, to try to feel safe in their vulnerability by an outside source. But the intention was always that you would be safe to be vulnerable because it's your God that protects you. It's your God that keeps you safe. And they reached for something outside of their relationship with God to protect them in their vulnerability. And it has set us up as human beings to do for ourselves what was intended to be done by our God. And when we feel vulnerable, Instead of feeling the freedom and childlike delight of being seen, we feel afraid. We feel scared. We feel exposed. We feel seen, and there's a little bit of cringe to it. But that is the work of the devourer to steal from you what was intended to be a delight. And when you look at childlike nature... In safe, loving environments, children love to be seen. As a parent, my number one role is I'm just the watcher. I just watch things. 
I've been watching things for 14 years. It is the absolute delight of my life. It hasn't changed now that I have teenagers. I just watch different things. So now I watch basketball. I watch plays. I watch soccer. But it used to be, watch, watch me take my first step. Look, watch me, watch me eat with a spoon. Uh, I've seen countless hours of plays in my living room, and I'm the only audience, and they need nothing else. And it's the delight of my life because they come from me. And, and this is our wiring from the Father that he, he, one of his names is the God who sees because he's watching for you. And I don't show up to watch my children because they're prodigy soccer players. Like, I don't show up to watch them uh, to make sure they're not doing anything wrong. And, And so many of us have been tutored by a religious spirit that has stolen the delight from a giddy father that watches on the edge of his seat Not to find out what we're doing wrong, but to behold the beauty of who he created you to be. And he's watching because he's captivated in love with you. Not to catch you doing something wrong. And, you know, as humans, uh, I've I've been a student of brain science uh, for the majority of my adult life. And I'm a little nerdy about it. Most of my closest friends are also nerdy about it, so that's helpful, uh, so I don't bore people that don't care. Um, But I I think um, I have learned more about the beauty of God in studying the brain because to the believer, science is more of a theological adventure than an academic one. Because in the world, uh, people study science to prove there's not a God. Well, let me study the human body so I can prove there's not a God. But in the kingdom, we study science to behold the beauty of our God, to be in awe of our God. And so I think so much has been stolen from the church, our awe, our curiosity, our wonder, because there's been a shame attached to being able to delight so fully in the way the world was created and let, it, let ourselves just be astonished by the creator. And that's what happens when I study the brain. And there's these things in, in our brain called mirror neurons, okay? And basically our brains, the way that we were created, is our brains, we cannot discover who we are without the brain of someone else, without the eyes of someone else looking at us. So uh, when you look at all the studies of infants, they call it a failure to thrive, where they're, uh, they're left alone, isolated in a crib, and they don't have attachment with a primary caregiver to wake up their brain. That when you are born, your brain is not fully developed until you're in your 20s because it takes interaction with other human beings to develop your brain. So who you are today is deeply and intimately connected with who has wired your brain. And uh, sometimes this is beautiful, and sometimes this has been a heart-wrenching experience for us. And we, we, you know, Jesus 
entered the scene because there was no way to correct the brokenness in our humanity from, from these violations of, of love, from everything that came in to steal the truth about who you are, everything in your life that became a mirror. Because all, all the events in your story were teaching you about who you are. They became the mirror that you learned, this is who I am. And Jesus came to redeem what could never be redeemed through human effort. And we see all sorts of really actually helpful tools to help us, uh, you know, it's like all the self-help industry is making more money than any other industry in the world. Because we recognize, I need help. Anybody else there? You're like, I need some help. And, and literally, we needed so much help that we needed a live-in, 24 hours a day helper who would promise to never leave until we were inside of eternity. And so, so, so much of um, the brokenness in humanity, when we look through human history, um, has been receiving upgrades but there's only one source to actually give us a new identity. And we can spend a lifetime trying to, uh, you know, upgrade the lens by which we're seeing life. You know, we, we inherited a lens that now uh, brokenness is on my lens. So even though your motive could be so pure towards me, if I'm viewing it from the lens of my rejection, I will see the whole world through the lens of rejection. And, you know, the self-help industry just helps to get the lens of rejection off our glasses, right? But there's only one way you can actually get brand new eyes. And it's through the blood of Jesus. It's through the cross where uh, we're actually given a brand new identity that cleanses and washes everything in our life that taught us what we're not. Every mirror we looked into, um, every mirror that informed us of our worth, of our value. And Jesus came to be the sound of God walking again in the cool of the day. And he was so offensive um, because nobody expected the Messiah to come with the number one mandate to show us the Father, to be the exact representation of the Father, to be the mirror of the Father, that when you see me, you've seen the Father. When you see the way that I look at you, when you see the way that I defend you, I'm redeeming your worth. I'm giving you a brand new identity. And, you know, when we see him all through the Gospels, he's uh, showing us what we look like to the Father. He's showing us what we look like inside the Godhead. And, you know, one of my favorite examples is when Simon invited Jesus to come have lunch at his house. And he was a really important religious leader. 
And Jesus sat down at Simon's house. And uh, remember, a known prostitute in the city came. And she just threw herself at the feet of Jesus and began just washing Jesus' feet in absolute adoration with her tears. And Simon was sitting at the table completely offended that Jesus was letting a prostitute touch him. And Jesus sensed his thoughts and said, "Um, Simon, I have feedback for you. (laughs) And uh, he, he proceeds to let him know that Simon saw a prostitute touching Jesus, but Jesus was letting a daughter wash his feet. And he came to redeem. He didn't come walking the streets, calling people out of sycamore trees, bending down in the dirt, touching lepers, using his body to redeem humanity, not looking to set sinners free. He came looking to redeem sons and daughters. He came looking to redeem and restore us to our rightful identity, to take care of the sin and the brokenness in the only way that was possible. And over and over again, he shocked us with how much the Father loves us. And Jesus had become one as a house of the Father. And in John 14, it says, These words that I speak are not even my own, but they're the Father speaking through me. That nothing inside of the person of Jesus was in conflict with the voice of the Father, with the love of the Father. And, you know, he made a way for us to be born again. Not not just fixed, but born again and laid upon the chest of a perfect father. That that all, you know, you would be able to experience this is what love is supposed to feel like. This is what redemption is, is to feel like. This is what it feels like to be the apple of a father's eyes. This is what it feels like to be seen and delighted in. And that he would actually become the standard of our mirror. That everything in our life would be informed by what the Father thinks. And not about what we learned in a story that's been passed down since Adam and Eve. And that no longer would we have to reach for an identity that is outside of his love. Outside of his perfect peace. And so in the, in the process, we get born again. And all of us got born again on like such a tiny smidgel of the truth. If you just think of how long you've been walking with the Lord. And most of us got saved thinking he was a big distant guy in the sky. And we'll just get saved so we can make it to heaven. That's not all of our story. But if you just think of even what you've learned about the Father in the last six months that you didn't know. Six months ago, we got saved on an astonishingly small amount of truth. (laughs) So nothing about what you know 
qualified you to receive the gift of salvation because you knew very little, very little. And in the big scheme of how endless our God is, we still know very little. And we'll be on this adventure with him forever, informing our story about the magnitude of what redemption really means in our lives. So uh, when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he did not mean you are finished. <laughs> this can be a little shocking twist of events. Um, because sometimes uh, in my own story, there's been confusion uh, in, in what redemption actually means. And there's two, two spirits, both coming from the same enemy that was in the garden, uh, that religion wants us to believe, well, uh, just forgive and forget. The past is over. Let's just live. Let's just live present in the kingdom. And the, the sneaky thing about religion is it's a really good form there's just no power in there. There's no power in there. So it's a, it's a structure. It's like a really nice, pretty wineskin. But when you step inside of it, you're like, that didn't work. That actually doesn't work. There's actually no power there. <laughs> There's no wine in this wineskin. And it's like uh, religion is constantly that dangling carrot. And if we just work a little harder, try a little harder, read a little bit more of the Bible, we'll finally be able to grab a hold of the promises that, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit has given us. And, you know, the world, the spirit in the world just wants us to pull up and, and set up camp in working really hard to redeem our own story to get justice in our own story, that it's all up to me and the best that can ever happen is I can create my own justice. I can create my own worth. And both are void of the resurrection power of Jesus. And once you're born again and we give over our lordship to Jesus, that no longer is any other opinion in this world going to reign supreme in my life. Calling Jesus Lord means my opinion of myself is no longer the highest opinion I trust. The opinions I learned in my story, the mirrors in my story are no longer the highest defining factor of my worth and my value and my identity and my destiny. And the thing that happens is your Lord, your shepherd, uh, starts to lead you into places you thought, I, I will never return there. <laughs> and it's like what Justin talked about this morning, like, uh, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that he actually takes us through valleys that are within ourselves that are disrupting the flow of love in our life. And, you know, <laughs> sometimes, uh, several months ago, I was looking at that passage and I was just sitting there staring at though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And uh, I just remember thinking, walk feels very generous. 
Like, this is more like a uh, slow belly crawl. And I said, Jesus, you are the most astonishing person I have ever known. And you are the slowest person I have ever known. You are, you are eternally slow. <laughs> and, uh, and just really began going on a journey that I've talked about a lot in, in a lot of times. But learning that love is patient. That nobody ever has the, nobody ever wants to hear, let me love you as fast as I can. Like, fast is not the goal when it comes to love. <laughs> like, that's nowhere in the equation. Let's do this quick, babe, as fast as we can, this marriage thing. Nope, doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. And uh, so, so he starts walking us through every place in our story that he wants redemption to touch. That he wants to rewire with the look in his eyes what the enemy taught us about ourselves. And he actually wants resurrection power, resurrection life to erupt in every dead place in your story. And that it would never be enough for him that anything on the inside of the house that you're living in with him would be left untouched from his kindness and his care and his nurture. And so, uh, you know, it can feel confusing when we find Jesus over here in the middle of the presence of our enemies because, you know, for so long, what has been uh, done by the devil has been attributed to God. And we can think, well, did you architect, were you the architect of all of these terrible violations of love in my life? And the only reason we see him in those camps where it's been painful and it's the work of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy humanity is because he's there to redeem. He's there to set a table that heals us and cleanses us. And, you know, the cross is the only appropriate way to view humanity with new eyes, to view yourself with new eyes. And for the last couple months, I've had this reoccurring dream. It's the same dream, just different scenarios. Um, and in the dream, I'm, I'm in a public place, like a mall. One time it was a gym. And I have to go to the bathroom really bad. And I go into the public restroom. Have you ever had this experience where you open the stall and you look in the toilet and you're like, no. So then you go to the next stall and you look in the toilet and you're like, no. And this is the dream. I'm looking in all these toilets and it just keeps being no. Like they're filled, so gross, about to run over. And I have to go to the bathroom so bad. And this is, this is tormenting. And as I've just been meditating on like, what is this all about? Uh, what has been welling up in my heart is um, first, just the reminder, you're not better than anybody else. Because that toilet is full of really gross, and you need to put more really gross in that toilet. And number two, 
That was not on purpose. <laughs> um, is uh, the public restroom, it's authentic. That is reality. But that is not the place that we allow to be the mirror of the worth of humanity, of the value of humanity. And uh, we have to be careful where we're getting informed about wh who we are, who the people around you are, who the people in this nation are. And um, the cross is the only appropriate place to view the worth of humanity, the beauty of humanity. And, you know, Jesus said, don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't give what's holy to dogs. And for so long, I thought we're just measuring people. Like, are you trustworthy? Are you not trustworthy? And really, at the bottom of all of humanity, there's places we are not trustworthy. <laughs> all of us. We're all growing up and into how trustworthy we are. Um, and I remember just sitting before that passage and the Lord speaking to my heart. Uh, you know, I never threw, he is the pearl of great price. I never threw myself before pigs or dogs. I gave myself to my people, my sons and my daughters. I saw them as worth it, worth who I am. Do you see them as worth who you are? And he redefined for us how he saw what we were worth. We were worth the whole of his life, not, not just in the shiny parts of our strengths, but in while we were absolute sinners, when we were at the worst, stuck in cycles we couldn't get out of, he gave us his life. And every part of who we are inside of the gospel, inside of this relationship with Jesus, is being redefined by how we see him looking out at us. And so to truly be the body of Christ in the earth, our highest mandate is to be like Jesus, to be a mirror of the Father, to show the world like Jesus did in, in brokenness, in, in woundedness, that the world would be able to look into our eyes, look at the body of Christ and see a different mirror than what trauma has taught them see a different mirror than any violation of love because we're manifesting the nature of the Father. And Jesus said, when you look at me, you've seen the Father. And so he left this as our commission, be the body of Christ. Let your life redeem the way that people see themselves. Let your life be a source of reconciliation to a God who delights in seeing you and knowing you 
and beholding you, that no longer will we be working so hard to keep ourselves safe in our vulnerability, to protect ourselves in our vulnerability, but that the people of God would be unafraid to be a city shining on the top of a hill, to be a healing balm to the world around us because we've been restored in our dignity. We've been restored in the delight. It's safe to be seen. It's a joy to be seen because when people see me, they see the one who lives inside of me. They see a father who doesn't think any of us is out of reach, who doesn't, who doesn't see when you touch him a prostitute, who doesn't see a, a tax collector, a thief up in a tree, but that he sees a friend. He sees a son. He sees a daughter. I have enough for that. My presence will be enough for that. And of all the ways he could have redeemed the brokenness in our story, he chose his presence to be the redeemer. Emmanuel, God with us. And the only way that God is now living and breathing on this planet is inside of your body. He doesn't live in this tent. When we leave, he leaves. He doesn't live in church buildings. He lives inside of human beings. And when we are shaken in that confidence, it is our invitation to settle deeper into this one defining factor in our life. My only point of definition is I am the one that God wants to be with. I'm the one God is delighted to be with. How free would we be to take crazy risks, to be crazy bold, to show the, show the world around us without apology. There is a redeemer and he's living right now in this space, sharing the air we breathe. Because resurrection life is dying and bursting to get out from on your insides. So let's just go ahead and stand up. And we just thank you, Jesus, that you are, you are our pure mirror. You are our only source of defining who we truly are. And we just relish this morning. We celebrate where we live, that we live in the center of your heart, that nothing shakes the confidence and the stability in your perfect love. And so I just ask that all across this room, in every one of our hearts, we would sink down deeper in this day, in this season, with an unshakable confidence that we are the people that God lives with. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.